Hi, everybody. My name is Greg Katz, and welcome to Tuesday's edition of WeRSC.com's Inside the Trojans Huddle, where we tell it like it is. Friends, Inside the Trojans Huddle is a game-like panel discussion that is posted on Tuesdays in the offseason and twice during the regular season. The huddle features WeRSC columnists, staff writers, and historians. We first start with the pregame show, where we introduce our panel members for this edition of Inside the Trojans Huddle, and then give you the latest USC football news. Let's first meet Tuesday's panelists, a WeRSC columnist who writes WeRSC.com's The Monday Morass, Yay or Nay, and Sunday Takeaways. In addition to regular season football and basketball reports, he also hosts his own podcast show entitled Locked On USC. That's Mark Culkin, the editor-in-chief of WeRSC.com, columnist, national recruiting guru, and a graduate of USC. That's Eric McKinney. And finally, a weekly WeRSC columnist who writes Fridays the Obvious and Not So Obvious, IMHO Sunday, and is an active member of the Football Writers Association of America, your moderator and producer of Inside the Trojan Subtle, that's Greg Katz. Before we kick off this Tuesday's edition of Inside the Trojan Subtle, here's a recap of USC football news. This Friday, from the Resorts World Hotel in Las Vegas, Pac-12 will host its annual football media day. Trojans will be represented by head coach Lincoln Riley, quarterback Caleb Williams, and linebacker Mason Cobb. The event, which will be televised by the Pac-12 Networks, Trojan segment is expected to air at 9.30 a.m. On the recruiting front, five-star receiver Mike Matthews from Georgia will be announcing his commitment on Wednesday from a list that includes Clemson, Georgia, Tennessee, and USC. Then this Friday morning, four-star Longview, Texas, running back Taylor Tatum, the acknowledged number one running back for the class of 2024, will reveal his commitment to either USC or Oklahoma. And then two days later on Sunday, July 23rd, four-star linebacker Kingston Liamu Asa will announce from among USC, Ohio State, and Notre Dame. Last week, USC Trojans All-America quarterback Caleb Williams received an ESPN award. That's an ESPY named for the College Sports Male Athlete of the Year. Congratulations to the quarterback, the former Heisman Trophy winner of 2022. And a reminder that the recruiting division of WeRSE.com, headed by Scott Schrader, assisted by Marshall Levinson, can be read daily during the week for our premium subscribers. Don't forget to watch the Friday WeRSE.com video recruiting roundup show with Scott Schrader and his host, Dylan Brazier. Friends, we are SC's Inside the Trojan Huddle. Greatly appreciate your viewer and listenership. And we strongly encourage those of you watching on sites like YouTube to click on the like and red subscribers buttons. It's greatly valued, appreciated, and it is free. You can also listen to Inside the Trojan Huddle on many available podcast sites. And a reminder, WeRSC.com is offering all WeRSC premium content for $9.99 monthly or $99.99 for a full one-year subscription. You don't want to miss the site that really does tell it like it is and shoot straight with USC and college football fans. All right, we're ready for the opening kickoff of Inside the Trojan Huddle. We first off start off with panel. In less than two weeks, the 2023 Trojans will open training camp on campus. Today's first half of the huddle, we concentrate on the offense. Next week, we'll look at the defense. Panel, let's first start off with a general overall Question, how excited are you regarding the overall 
team, overall expectations. Realistically, we're going to put you on the spot right now. What record do you think the Trojans can end up with at the conclusion of the regular season? Our leadoff hitter, as always, Mark Culkin, your thoughts. So I, I think everybody is optimistic, uh, especially coming off of what, you know, Lincoln Riley was able to kind of to do in, in less than a year time. I mean, if anybody anticipated four and eight turning into an 11 win season, um, please send me your name, address, phone number, social security number, because I want to hang out with you. I want to be a part of your family. Nobody saw that coming, even with a Caleb Williams. And when you when you really undress it and realize how close the team came to making the playoffs, uh, wow. Yeah, there's no reason not to be optimistic this season. So the other part of your question was, realistically, you know, what should their record, what can their record be? Realistically, it can be undefeated. We know that football is a, uh, it's a different sport. Even the best USC teams lose to teams they shouldn't lose to, uh, and they beat the teams they should. So I think right now, everybody should be able to anticipate and accept an 11-1 regular season record. All right. Thank you, Mark. Uh, welcome back to WeRSE.com's editor-in-chief, Eric McKinney. Your thoughts on the overall expectations, realistically? What record do you think this team is going to end up with at the conclusion of the regular season? You know, years past, you look at this schedule, and I'm talking about years past, maybe the last like 10, 15 years, and I'm just talking about when you thought USC had had pretty good teams. So we're not talking about every year in the last 10 or 15 years. But you look at this schedule and you could kind of pencil in two losses. I'm with Mark. I I think 11 and one here as kind of a guess at this point. And don't ask me to pick the one because you look at those last, I'd say five out of those last six games. And you just figure when you talk about the percentages of going undefeated, you know, you you have an 80% chance of winning this game or a 60% chance of winning this game. When you start, when you start tacking those up together the 70% chances, the 60% chances when you're playing some really good teams over the second half of the season, that percentage of an undefeated season gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. So again, the expectation would be you trip up at some point. At some point, you come out on the wrong side of a shootout or you just have an injury that that you can't get over or an officiating decision goes the wrong way when you have so many of those games back to back to back to back there at the end. So I don't think anybody should go in saying if this is not an undefeated regular season, it's a failure. I think the expectation to lose one here. And again, this is a a schedule where the last few years when there's, when it's been a good USC team, I would have pretty easily said that's two losses there. I think they've done enough defensively. You have enough offense coming back in this second year where I'm pretty comfortable saying I, I don't I don't think they get hit twice uh, over those last six games. I, I think they can get through that with just the one loss. And, and I don't think it's a huge surprise. Again, you look at each one of those games individually, they could beat all those teams on that schedule. If it, if it was a one-game season against all those teams, they could they could win each time they go out against against those teams. And, and again, it's been a while since we've talked about 
a USC team kind of in those terms too. Well, I'm extremely excited for this season. Last uh, last year, Lincoln Riley's first season, I, I was highly intrigued by what I was going to see. This season, I'm really fired up about it, and that's a good thing because I've been unfired up uh, maybe during the Helton years with an exception here too. But I think that this is really going to be a chance uh, when you look at the regular season record. Now, I wrote in the obvious, not so obvious last week, my predictions of the first six games, I put 6-0. and No shock to anybody, of course. Last year, I predicted SC would go 11-1. and I lucked out. They did go 11-1. and So what am I going to predict uh, this uh, Friday when I give the uh, predictions on ONSO uh, for the last six games? Well, you'll have to read it to find out. But I will say this. I agree with Eric. They're going to lose a game, I believe, capable. I agree with Mark. They could go undefeated if you take each game as it is. And, you know, you got to remember, as long as Caleb Williams stays vertical, they can win every game. He's just that good and that exceptional. But I think if they do have a loss, I'm going to go out on the limb. It's a little sneak preview. I don't think it's going to come at home. Washington will be a, could be undefeated when they come to SC. But I think it's going to come either at – Notre Dame, but possibly or more likely it could be at Oregon. But either way, I think 11 and 1, I think we all agree, is certainly within reach and exciting. But how are they going to do it? Here's what we're going to do now. We are going to start off uh, our pre training camp segment and look at the position groups. Uh, a lot of it's pretty self explanatory. You've known about it, but here we are. We see who's left, who's come. Uh, who might be here. So let's start off, first of all, with the quarterback room. I'm going to ask you to tell me your did you see the strength of that position group, weakness, maybe a surprise, and the unknown. So, Mark, strength, weakness, surprise, and unknown. What do you say? So uh, I'm not sure what the surprise would be, other than that means that we, we've probably lost Caleb Williams and lost Miller Moss for the year. And surprise, something else has to happen. So that would be the surprise. And that would also be your unknown. Uh, but what's interesting is the strength and the weakness is the same answer. It's Caleb Williams. And, and that's not that I'm not that's not disrespecting Miller Moss or Malachi Nelson. But we know this team is going to go as far as Caleb Williams can carry this team. Until the defense has proven. Uh, that they're 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 capable of of playing a 12 game season, um, and and they have the depth now. So we'll find out. But just sticking with the quarterback, you need Caleb Williams. He's the strength. He is the difference maker uh, between everything else happening on the field. I mean, again, the there's Caleb Williams. There's Miller Moss, who's a great quarterback, but he's still here. So the, the answer is the same. The strength and the weakness is there. It's it's one player. He wears number 13. All right, Eric. Strength, weakness, surprises, unknowns. Have at it. I mean, when you talk about USC quarterback, there's just not a lot of direction to go right now. You you talk about Caleb Williams, and that's that's the driver of of the whole thing. I if you're if you're talking about kind of unknown, I, I think it's it's is he better than what he did in 2022? Can you be 
much better at this level than what you did, what he did last year. I mean, I, I know he'll sit there and say, I got to work on this. I got to get better at this. I got to get better at this. And Lincoln Riley will absolutely be able to coach him and, hey, we're going to work on this. We're going to work on this. I just, if he gave the exact same performance, you'd kind of be blown away because it always feels like when a guy breaks out at this level and then comes back, you don't get a lot of like elite, elite best in the country guys who play better. It seems like there's kind of a book out on them and, and they come back to earth a little bit. I think it's why you just that there have been a number of Heisman Trophy winners that come back and, and they just don't win. I mean, you're talking about one guy who's ever done it. And we can talk all day if he deserved either one of those. But it just it doesn't happen again where you come back and you're clearly the best player in college football again. So that's that's kind of the unknown. Can he be can he be that guy? Can he be the guy to win a second Heisman and, and to put up numbers that would be kind of unbelievable based on if he has to play better than what he did last year? And, and the unknown for USC, again, the, the weakness at this position is that there's no experience depth. If you have to go to a number two for anything real, is Miller Moss ready? You just don't know because he had he's he's taken some snaps, but they've always been. It doesn't really matter what happens here because the game's out of reach. So I, I would bet on Miller Moss being a pretty competent and, and talented quarterback if he had to go out there. But what you know about Caleb Williams, you just don't know about any of those other guys. And, and so that will be, I, I think, maybe the the surprise, the unknown, all of that, how that number two battle shakes out because at the very end of the year there's going to be no surprise when Caleb Williams is one of the best players in college football the number one pick in the draft but what the the number two spot number three spot looks like for USC's quarterback uh, depth chart that's going to be really interesting when you flip forward and, and start looking at 2024 which one of those guys behind Caleb Williams set themselves up the best to maybe have that leg up when spring ball starts and, and now we've skipped the whole season and, and now we're in the next season. But yeah, for this year, it's, it's what can Caleb Williams do and, and how impressive is he? And I'm pretty comfortable setting the bar at maybe something we've never seen before. And we've seen a lot of really good quarterback play at, at USC. Just to be clear, yeah. Eric, you weren't saying that Matt Weiner had a poor second season after he won the Heisman. It's not poor. It's it's it. They're the seasons when they come back. Bryce Young did not have a poor season. The guys after they win, it's not poor. But the bar is set so high that that a lot of people come in thinking they have to kind of blow out of the water what they did last year, and those expectations are are crazy high for that. So again, Matt Leiner did not have a a worse season. But when you're comparing it against what he did and, and what those guys did to win that Heisman Trophy, a lot of times it feels like, okay, yeah, he was he was good, but we were expecting, you know, more than that. And, and sometimes those are just unrealistic. It feels like you can set some unrealistic standards for Caleb Williams and, and he may out, may go out and get those. All right, I'll say I'll make this short and sweet. Obviously, the strength is Caleb Williams. End of story. Weakness to me is the depth, the inexperience of it. Not necessarily the talent, but the inexperience of it. Uh, we'll see. Surprise to me. Well, it'll be surprising if Caleb doesn't repeat his last season's performance. And it will not surprise me 
to be honest, if he surpasses it, because if if he can get the Trojans into the playoffs, you'd have to say he's pretty he's pretty much improved for what he did last time. And honestly, I so badly want to see Caleb win the Heisman again because I'm really sick of hearing about Archie Griffin being the only two-time winner from Ohio State. I saw Archie Griffin in person for the years that he won it. It was regionalism at its worst. Uh, Anthony Davis could have done it. Uh, you know, a number of Trojans uh, in that era could have done it. They were at least as good as uh, Archie Griffin. Uh, he was a great player, not better to win two Heisman trophies. I can tell you that. My my uh, unknown would be what if Williams goes down? Can USC still win the Pac-12 conference uh, based on the schedule? Uh, you know, Washington, uh, Oregon, et cetera. So that's kind of like my unknown. So. Let's move on to the running back room. What do you see as a strength, weakness, surprises, and the unknown? Mark, what say you? Uh, the, well, the strength is is the depth and the versatility that that uh, Kyle McDonald and Lincoln Riley get to work with. I mean, we we saw how valuable Travis Dye was to the team last year, and and his value was not just on the field, but it was it was his locker room presence as well. So you lose that. And you bring in Marshawn Lloyd. Now, I I don't know what Marshawn's locker room presence is. We haven't. I, I don't think it's the same as Travis Dye's. I'm not saying it's bad, but what you're getting with Marshawn Lloyd is a is a better running back, at least athletically. Um, I, we're starting to see some of his training film and uh, you know what, he, what he's doing in the off season, and I think that's got a lot of Trojan fans pretty excited. And again, you're bringing back Austin Jones, second season now with the program, more experience. Uh, he's another locker room guy. So the strength, there's a lot of strength with the running back room. I, I guess if you want to pick an unknown, maybe it's Darwin Barlow, just because uh, we don't know what he's capable of if he's if he was given first team reps. We know what he's capable of when he plays against UCLA. He, he he was pretty emphatic with uh, his performance last year. So maybe we can see more of that. I, I don't know if there's a weakness. Um, again, you have a good balance of experience at the top with, with Jones and, and, and Marshawn Lloyd. Uh, you've got Darwin Barlow again, right there with experience. And then you've got those two freshmen that I know the coaching staff loves. Um, I mean, they're, they're really high on those guys is, I don't know if there's a weakness. Okay, uh, Eric, how do you survey the running back room at this point in terms of strength, weakness, surprises, and unknown? Well, for weakness, I, I don't know if this is like an elite group when it comes to like long speed and, and breakaway speed. And, and I think Marshawn Lloyd gives you a little bit more there than Travis Dye. And, and certainly his strength, maybe not his strength just as a, as a player, but what he brings that makes the room better than what it was last year is his ability to to make guys miss the the USC running backs they were they were fine but not not elite when you look at the the numbers in terms of of just forcing missed tackles running through guys yards after contact all of that the offensive line did a fantastic job of kind of moving the line of scrimmage and and letting those guys churn yards before. Uh, before contact and, and kind of get angles and all of that to where USC's running game 
what was really one of the more potent ones uh, in the country last year. But I, I think that's that's what you want to see more of. Can can a guy get into a position where that tackle should be made and it goes for another 12 yards, 20 yards, 40 yards, you know, that that kind of thing. I think that's maybe a, a weakness for this group right now. And also, I, I think the unknown. The surprise for me is going to be Quentin Joyner. I think we saw some flashes uh, in the spring. I think that that clock is sort of set and ticking for when does he start making an impact for this team? And it might be this year. And it sounds a little crazy because you look at those top three guys and and that goes to my strength of this group, which is experience. I mean, Austin Jones, Darwin Barlow, I'd be fine if they were one and two. You throw Marshawn Lloyd in there and now you've got those as your top three. That's a ton of, of snaps and production and all of that at this level. So the experience there is is really solid the pass catching ability up and down that roster is really really good curious to see like i said what kind of breakaway speed there is how many big plays that group can muster the two longest runs or the longest runs last year a wide receiver and a quarterback for usc so where where does that come from kind of from the running back group and then again how quickly can Quentin Joyner make it? And and Mario Peterson too. I don't I don't want to forget him. Those two freshmen uh, are going to be pretty special. Is there room for them to make an impact this year? But that running back room, I I think we'd all agree, as strong as it's been in in a while. There, this, this is a really good group. And what's so yeah, funny? Oh, Eric, go ahead, Mark. I was going to say, Greg, um, is Eric mentioned they don't have that long that long speed. We, we don't even mention Rayleigh Brown at running back anymore. And there's your long speed. There's your top end guy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he he could be there, right? Who knows where he's going to show up? I, I think you use him at a couple different different places, but I don't think it would shock anybody if he takes a handoff, you know, out, out of the backfield a few times this year. Well, I uh, see it as this way. The strength, of course, is the depth at running back. It's versatility, diversity in Austin Jones and South Carolina transfer, Marshawn Lloyd. The weakness, it's really a luxury if you have a, a back that has top-end speed, like a Reggie Bush. Very unusual to get that lucky top-end speed. Uh, but really, I don't see a real weakness at all in this group. Pass blocking is always a challenge. Mark mentioned, uh, you know, a, a Travis Dye voice in the room. We don't know if one's going to come from the running back position. Uh, so the surprises to me will be the contribution, the positive contribution from Darwin Barlow during the season. I think that UCLA game kind of gave us an idea what he would be capable of doing. He's a load to bring down. He plays hard. Uh, and I'm kind of curious. I think he's going to hold off uh, Joyner uh, for as much as he can be, uh, as much as Barlow can be productive. And I think he can be productive. The unknown will be. Who will be the starting back to start the first half of the season? My gut feeling is it's going to be Austin Jones. When I say start of the season, I mean San Jose State. From there on, uh, it'll be interesting to see who the starting running back is in the second half of the season. I think it's going to come from Austin Jones. Wouldn't shock me if Marshawn Lloyd, uh, in what we've seen the sample sizes of him in the spring, the dude can play. He's fast. The big question to me of unknown, you guys brought it up, Rayleigh Brown, how's he going to be used? Is there room for any of the true freshmen to have an effect? Uh, interesting unknown questions. Uh, 
you talk about uh, an interesting room. Let's move on to the wide receiver room. What do you see as the strength, weakness, surprises? Unknown. We're talking about wide receivers now, Mark Culkin. Mm -hmm. So the strength is you've got a really deep room of wide receivers. Um, this is where Lincoln Riley kind of butters his bread. Quarterback, wide receiver. Get that situated, and he's just going to create a meal out of it. So, it, it, the strength again. If the strength is having a really deep room, the the opposite is the weakness is how do you keep everybody happy? You got a lot of guys there, and you got one football, so you run a lot of three and four wide receiver sets. But again, the weakness is making sure that everybody's on the same page and understands. You know, hey, get open and. There's no favorite on this team. And I, it's going to be, I don't know if um, if you're a number one wide receiver, if you're a recruit, you know, where your ego stops at the door, where you say, you know what, I I got to look at my stats. I got this NIL deal package that, that's, you know, that might be lingering there. It, it, it's a rabbit hole, but it's, it's just such a small weakness that you kind of have to talk about it. And then, I guess the unknown is who's going to be the number one receiver out of this group. Uh, you know, is, is Brennan Rice going to be that guy? Is, is Dorian Singer going to be able to make the transition? Was, was he a one-year wonder at Arizona? And is he able to, can he handle the pressure of playing for USC that's contending for a national championship? So again, strength, weakness, excuse me, strength, depth, weakness, can Lincoln Riley take all these really highly rated wide receivers and keep them happy? And then the unknown is who is going to ultimately become uh, Caleb's favorite, you know, choice to throw the ball to. Eric. So I, I agree with a lot of that. Uh, the versatility of the group, right? You got big guys, you got little guys, you got fast guys, you got guys who can go up and get the ball. You've got guys who are better after the catch. You've got, I mean, you can put anybody anywhere. If you want to go with four gigantic receivers or four little quick wide receivers, you can do any mix of, of anything you want with this group. I think it's important to find a number one guy. I, I don't think that you're as strong if you just say, oh, we've got eight really good wide receivers. I, I think that you're a better group if you have the guy. If you have one guy who is a dominant wide receiver, Jordan Addison on third and 10 or third and 15 or whatever it was, was the guy and you knew he was going to be open every single time last year when he was healthy and, and out on the field. Who's that guy? That That's kind of the question. And honestly, I could talk myself into about four or five different guys at, at this point. I think the expectation is Dorian Singer comes over and is that Addison guy when USC goes out and gets a transfer portal receiver now. That expectation is a thousand yards, maybe double digit touchdowns. I know Addison didn't touch those numbers, but when you look at maybe what he was on the way to accomplishing without the injury, could have gotten to, to a lot of those. Uh you Mario Williams and Taj Washington don't get talked about, I think, enough based on kind of what they did last year and what they could do. Brendan Rice is a guy, again, he left that impression against Tulane in the Cotton Bowl. Can he be that guy going forward? I, I think there, there's a ton um, of talent there. I'm not as concerned about the 
can you keep everybody happy aspect of it? I, I understand that that that's an idea when you have so many guys, but we're talking about a roster, a wide receiver group that lost Terrell Bynum, Gary Bryant Jr., Jordan Addison, C.J. Williams, Kyle Ford, John Jackson III in one offseason. All of those guys are gone, and we're talking about is this a better room this year than last year? That That's kind of, I think, where you are when you, when you talk about a USC roster. The best guys play. They get the stats. If you don't like it, you can go this way and someone else can come in. I, I think it's just a, a year-to-year build. If you prove that you're the best guy this year, you're going to play. So again, the the you could play five guys. Lincoln Riley has said he doesn't want to do that, right? When, I think when he first came in, he talked a lot about we need eight wide receivers to run this offense. And I think in a perfect world, there's that many guys contributing. But he's also shown if he's got two guys, those two guys are going to catch a ton of passes. So uh, that that's kind of the interesting thing. For me, the surprise, I think, is still you're talking about, you know, a Kyron Hudson, a Michael Jackson, the third. Those are two receivers for me have gotten almost like no coverage, no discussion this offseason. Uh, Michael Jackson, the third did more than Kyron Hudson, but both of them caught passes when they were asked to. They're both kind of developing, getting more physical, stronger that they have experience in this offense now. Uh, I think those are two guys to, to keep mentioning in this group where if things happen and, and you you need someone to fill in or again, you never know what an offseason does for guys at this age and this kind of development. They could come out start of fall and, and kind of blow people away. Uh, I, I think those are two guys to keep in mind. And then. I mean, Greg, if, if you want to talk about all the freshmen, we can talk about all the freshmen that are out there, but there is. There is no understating how good this group of four freshmen, because Deuce Robinson is out here with the wide receivers. Deuce Robinson, Zachariah Branch, Mikhail Lemon, even Jacoby Lane, who again gets a little bit buried, I think, in that discussion of wide receivers because he wasn't Deuce Robinson and he wasn't here in the spring. Uh, those guys are are going to play, I think, this year. I don't know how much. Well, I know Zachariah Branch is going to play play plenty. Uh but but those are how do they fit in? What can they do? How quickly can they make an impact? Because even if you're super talented, there is that jump. And and how do you handle that jump from high school uh, to college? But I, I I mean we could do an hour show on on the wide receivers. There's that much intrigue and and that much talent. Well, I will say this: the strength and talent when you have four guys that could come onto the field, Dorian Singer, Mario Williams, uh, Taj Washington, Brandon Rice. You got some major league threats. I think this what's going to be the separation for all these receivers, those I just mentioned and the ones I will mention in a second, is who's going to be trusted to catch the ball. There was times last year when there was some drops that left you shaking your head like, how could he drop that one? I think there's enough deep talent on this team that if you drop a couple too many, you ain't playing. You're going to sit, and somebody else who's going to catch the ball. Now, the first six games, I think they can pretty much – I'm not going to say they can mail it in. I, I think that's that's an insult. But we're going to find out who catches the ball in the Coliseum, who catches the ball at Colorado, just the environmental factor. Uh, I don't see any weaknesses in this group. Uh, there's just too much depth. There's just too much talent. 
I think it was brought up the bread and butter of Lincoln Riley as his receivers. I, too, believe the surprise, in my opinion, uh, could be Michael Jackson third. I've been saying this for a couple of years. I, I think this guy is a dynamite package. And one thing he does do, he does catch the ball, I would say, 95% of the time. And he knows what to do with it if he catches it. Now, the unknown to me is the effect uh, the uh, effect of two freshmen. Uh, Zach Branch, who I think is going to be brilliant by the time of the, the season ends. He's going to make some highlight films. But I would not underestimate the impact by the end of the season that Deuce Robinson could have. He is an X factor. If Essie is going for the Big Apple, and he can, he's proven during the season uh, at the midpoint, Say he goes into Notre Dame, uh, you know, and make some big catches in that game because he's a mismatch. It's a jump ball. Who's going to win that one? Deuce wins it. He could have a major impact, uh, but he's going to have to wait his turn, which he should. Now, waiting your turn is not, I don't think, is a major problem in the tight end room. What do you guys see as the strength, weakness, surprises, and the unknown? Mark, what about this tight end room and the and the depth, the whole ball of wax here? Do I know what Lake McCree is capable of? What's the next question, Greg? <laughs> Weakness. <laughs> no, honestly, we don't know what's going on with the tight end until we actually see the tight end become an integral part of the offense. Um, they got a couple, you know, they've been recruiting the position outstanding. I mean, some of the best out there. Use them. I, I don't know what else to add to, to, add to this question. Is there, is there any note? Let me ask you this, Mark. Is there any unknown in this position in any shape or form? Is there any unknown? Yeah. The whole group is an unknown. That's my point. We know Lake, what we know, what Lake McCree is capable of. I We just need to see the group used. And that's, that was the point I was getting to. And you, and you brought that up. Eric, what do you, what do you think about this uh, tight end position room and what, what kind of strength, weakness, surprise, unknown? What do you what do you see? Yeah, I, I mean, Lake McCree is a solid starter, and and he's going to give you a bunch of snaps. I don't know if you can get through the year with with one guy if you're going to play him a lot. Now USC with Lincoln Riley and with that wide receiver room, they can go five wide. They can do a lot of different things. They can have some of those big wide receivers line up inside a little bit and chip and help and do some of the stuff that that the tight end needs to do the unknowns for me the health of jude wolf which has been sort of the unknown since he's been at usc when he's been healthy coaches and players talk about him like he could be a, a real impact guy you just you want him to be able to have that kind of clean bill of health and and be able to be out there for any significant amount of time if he's out there, then those top two, they give you something to work with at, at that tight end spot. And when Lincoln Riley first got here, Jude Wolf was working at that sort of H-back position that's so important to Riley in this offense. And, and if he's if he can be that guy and then you've got two there, I think you're okay. Kate Eldridge is an intriguing guy. I would never expect a, a true freshman to come in and, and make a significant impact uh, at that spot. But at this point, you're just kind of listing every single player that, that has the tight end position next to his name uh, and, and trying to talk about those, those guys. So 
it's not a spot that caught a ton of balls, but six touchdown receptions. I mean, for, from a group that didn't catch a whole lot, you, you expect them to Lake McCree, I think, especially to, to maybe be that red zone weapon for you again. And, and when you're talking about the whole goal is to put points on the board, someone who can help you down there is, is still a pretty key part of the offense. Yeah, I think the strength of this group uh, is Lake McCree. I like how he's developed. I like that he's tough as nails. He takes a hit. He's gotten much bigger and stronger. Uh, He could be a factor. The weakness, I think, is depth, inexperience with younger players. Surprise to me uh, could be the uh, contribution from converted linebacker Carson uh, Tabarachi. Uh, He was there in the spring. Uh, You know, sometimes a guy comes out of nowhere and, uh makes a great contribution he might be that guy the unknown of course is how will riley use his tight ends uh or will they be just a token option i agree that jude wolf is kind of like the uh the 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 question mark if he really comes on and he's healthy uh as uh you said eric uh they like him the players like him they respect him i find kate eldridge really intriguing i've watched a lot of film on him and he's, he played multiple positions in high school. And uh, I watched him and said to myself, now this guy could be a great H-back. Uh, and I think, you know, judging in the past with Lincoln Riley, uh, I think he likes that type of position. All right. Now the one that everyone wants to talk about, uh, at least uh, has been the focus, the offensive line uh, room. What do you see as the strength, weakness, surprises, the unknown? Mark? So the strength of, the, of that room is is the versatility. Um, being able to hit the transfer portal the, the way that Lincoln Riley and Josh Henson have, uh, you're going to be able to see this. I think you're going to see a seamless transition from last year to this year. You, you retain the guys that are, you know, you've got Jonah Monheim, Justin Dietrich. Uh, they're going to, what's interesting is we know Justin's going to play center. They, the coaching staff talks so highly of Jonah Monheim and, and his versatility. Where are you playing him this year? Is he going to be right tackle? Is he going to be your right guard? Is he going to be your left tackle? So, and that leads me to what the, the the weakness of the room is. Is I don't know if they have a lot of depth at the tackle spot. They got a lot of versatility among their pieces. I just don't know if you if you're comfortable saying, all right, this guy's left tackle, this guy's right tackle one, this guy's left tackle two, this guy's right tackle two. Until that, which is kind of the unknown, they have all the pieces they need. Jared Kingston, they brought in Emmanuel Pregnon, who looks like a mountain of a man. Um, is he going to be able to step in and take one of those guard positions? Is he going to tackle? So it's a matter of just plugging in the pieces, figuring out where they're going to go. Um you got you got enough guys to get through the season. Are you comfortable? The surprise, the surprise is who's going to be backup center? Is it going to be Andrew Malek, or are they going to just go ahead and start one of those freshmen? Are they going to take one of those guys and say it's your turn? Is Malek going to be a guard? There's a lot of versatility with these guys. I think Eric's talked about it. When they do their recruiting, they look for guys who. You know, if you're an interior offensive lineman, can you play center? And then they kind of just spread you out from there. See what you can do. Eric? 
Yeah, I like I, for me the strength is the starting five. Uh, I think kind of whoever that there's there's the question is Emmanuel Pregnon does he come in and immediately jump in as a starter? Gino Cronos what worked at at left guard as the starter. I think whoever you end up with as the starting five, you're pretty comfortable with those guys. It's it's going to be a lot of snaps. Um, it's going to be a lot of experience at this level. You start with Jared Kingston and Justin Dietrich and John Monheim, who are three guys probably in the conversation. We'll find out on on Friday at Pac-12 Media Day, probably in that all Pac-12, you know, first team, second team preseason uh, conversation for there. And anytime you're starting with more than half your line in that discussion, that's a pretty good place uh, to start. A question for me is who ends up playing the two guard spots. Jarrett Kingston was interesting because he played a ton of left guard at Washington State. Then he moved out and played left tackle at Washington State. When he came to USC, the immediate assumption is he's coming to play left tackle. And then Josh Henson stands up and talks about him and immediately says he's a guard body. We, we like him at guard. And he played right guard the whole time. Emmanuel Pregnant at Wyoming last year played right guard exclusively. So now you've got Kingston, who played left guard at Washington State, but right guard at USC, and Pregnant, who played right guard at Wyoming. Which one of them goes to left? Which one goes to right? So so finding those spots, I think, is interesting. Has Michael Tarquin locked down the left tackle? Are you still looking for who's the best guy there? So just kind of fine-tuning who your starting five is, but I think whoever ends up as those five, you're super comfortable uh, with what that looks like. I think a question, I mean, the, the unknown is how many snaps do your starting five take together? I mean, jo- Josh Henson talked about before last season, he said, I think he's, it, it was something like you get like one year in 10 or one year in 15 where your offensive line is not kind of blown apart at various times and you're looking for backups and, and having to mix and match. Like there are very few seasons where you get to line your five guys up for the opener and put them out there every single game. So how many times do you get to do that this year? Last year, there was a ton of shuffling and and you lost a bunch of key offensive linemen in key spots in in big games. So that's the unknown. How, How often does USC get to rely on that starting five that they've been able to put together? Uh, And then for me, Mark mentioned it too. Uh, what do those backup tackles look like? Is, is Mason Murphy ready to, if he's called upon at either left or right tackle to go in a, as the number two, or even keep pushing, you know, potentially for, for a starting spot at either, either of those places. Can he play like a starter? Can he be a guy that is super reliable? We saw him at times last year and, and as a young guy struggled a bit with some things, uh, but also has shown enough flashes to think, okay, this might be the year where he gets to take a big step forward and, and become a a big time contributor. So, outside of those starting five, whoever they end up being, do you have a really good six, seven, eight uh, at a few different spots that you can that you can rely on? I, I think there's some bodies, but that's that's kind of the question: how good are those guys? Because you're just you're not going to be able to to play five offensive linemen for the season for all of your important snaps. Yeah, I think the strength of this group is the versatility. 
you have to love having a center like Justin Dietrich. He's a leader. He's a spokesperson. He's a person in the locker room as well as on the field. Jonah Monheim, by all accounts, is a major NFL prospect uh, at tackle or guard. Uh, and, of course, you have to like the physicality of the transfers of Tarquin, Kingston, and Pregnon. Those are, those are big people. Uh, weaknesses, I see uh, the inexperience, which all teams have each year in college football, for the most part, as a cohesive unit. That'll work its way out. Uh, of course, the inexperience in depth, with the possible exception of tackle Mason Murphy. Uh, they'll see. My big surprise is, and I was kind of su- actually surprised that, that one of you didn't mention the name, but uh, from my perspective, uh, the surprise could be true freshman Elijah Page uh, at tackle. I think he's got a bright future. I think he even excelled beyond uh, expectations in spring ball. And if he continues, uh, who knows where he'll be in terms of playing time and down the line. I think the unknown is the combination of quality that will be ready for the second half of the season. What is that, that offensive line going to look like health-wise, uh, physicality, when they go into the meat grinder second half of the schedule? I think we need to keep an eye at the development of the unknown of uh, Gino Quinones at guard. And and probably the level of play expected from transfer Emmanuel Pregnan, who's coming from Wyoming, this is going to be a step up for him. Uh, but as Mark mentioned, uh, and John Robinson used to say this all the time about his linemen, offensive linemen, a mountain of a man. All right, staying and completing this segment, uh, you look at special teams, you look at from an offensive standpoint, uh, the special teams, offensive room, place kicker, return team, uh, punt return. What do you see as the strengths, weaknesses, any surprises? Mark, as you look at this special team, maybe from an offensive perspective, how do you see it? Uh, I don't know how much has changed. They brought over, you know, Eddie Zaplicki from uh, Arizona State. So hopefully we see some improvement there as far as consistency. Um, you know, people forget that um, the, the the kids, the young man's name slips my mind that they brought in from Australia last year. Late addition. Uh, I don't know if he was quite ready um, to handle the situation. But he's back. So USC's got two hunters on scholarship. Uh, Dennis Lynch is going to be the place kicker until he's replaced. And then the return team is really, I think, where everybody's just focused on. We saw everybody just remembers the Cotton Bowl. And they just want to see two guys back there that they can count on, know when to know when to catch the ball and how to use their blockers. That's all. Okay. USC scored enough touchdowns that they shouldn't have to rely on special teams to be a huge factor. We know they it's a part of the game, but man, if, if this team has to rely on a field goal to win a game, or in the last five minutes of a game just to recover a you know a kick properly, team's got bigger issues. Eric, you agree? What do you think about the strengths, weaknesses, any surprises, unknowns? Yeah, the so so you go out and get the first team all Pac-12 punter, right? Eddie Eddie Chaplisky comes over from Arizona State. That should be a strength. I mean, pretty quickly that should be a strength. Uh, the question is: Is Dennis Lynch better? I, he was fine, and and Lincoln Riley's right. He made some big kicks uh, for them. 
But when you go back and look and kind of kind of rewatch games and and the flow, he missed some that really sort of turned momentum and and should have been kind of USC being able to to stockpile points and and push leads and get out ahead and and that sort of stuff. So does he take a step forward and and solidify that spot is a question. And then yeah, the return game. It can USC be elite in the in the return game. There's enough guys. There's enough guys there. Zach Branch is is kind of the question as the punt returner. Is he can, can he get it all down? Right. I I talked about the jump between high school and college. I don't care how physically talented you are. That's a challenge. That's a challenge to be able to do that and to take on as much as maybe Zach Brack Zach Branch could be expected to take on contributing a wide receiver and and potentially as as the punt returner too he's a special kid but that's still kind of a a jump so so what can he do if he is indeed the the punt returner and Relique Brown had a couple true freshman sort of issues uh late in important games one at at UCLA and then uh a, a decision in in the Cotton Bowl too as a kick returner but again that talent is there and he should be able to, if if you kind of give him a chance and, and put him back there, uh, he's a guy that can go for you. So, again, what what does that look like, and can that become a strength uh, for for USC? Because it, it wasn't those jump out right. The the Cotton Bowl kick returns jump out in a huge way, lasting impact end of the season. Special teams overall last year got kind of crushed by fans I know and a lot of the talk was there there isn't a special teams coordinator they coach special teams they work on special teams I think it was outside of those two big big mistakes uh in that combo I think it was fine it was good enough to to keep you competitive and win games I don't think USC needs the best special teams groups in all of college football but there is enough now now you're talking about uh, when Lincoln Riley talks about sort of that that gap between ceiling to floor, it's closing. And now you have those depth guys that can help more on special teams. So it should be should be better. If if it's not getting better, then you've really got to relook at what are we doing on special teams? Because it can't hurt you. I mean, if, if you're at USC, you can't put out special teams units that put you in holes and make it tougher to win games. I don't think you need to win games on special teams, but you, you should be better this year. And that's my expectation. I I expect them to be pretty good on special teams. All right. Well, I see the strength as you have two veterans in terms of place kicker and punter, the punter, of course, from Arizona state first team, all pack 12. So he's experienced. Um, There's physical talent to be effective in kickoff and punt returns. I think Zach Branch can be a real difference maker early, if given the opportunity early or down the road. I still say watch out for Michael Jackson III. He could be a special teams factor. The weakness, of course, is a debatable one. The uncertainty of the effectiveness of special teams without a full-time special teams coach. I don't know if it's a necessity, but it's certainly going to be looked upon if things are not specialized and are not effective. Um I, I would. I think a surprise could be just how effective ASU transfer Eddie uh, Kapliki is uh, in a game. We know that Lincoln Riley doesn't punt a great deal, but when you're going for the gusto, a playoff position in the national championship playoff situation, everything matters. P- 
punting will matter. If he only punted three times and all three changed field position, it matters. Uh, the real unknown to me is can returning place kicker Dennis Lynch make field goals in the clutch because he's certainly going to be put in stress situations, especially in the second half of the schedule. I'm not, I'm going to put confidence that he can do it, but you got to do it at Notre Dame. You got to do it at Oregon. And some of these teams could hang with SC if the SC defense uh, isn't good enough to to hold hold a team like, well, uh, the power teams like Washington. It could get down to field goals. So I want to know what he's going to be able to do. I hope he does it. When SC has got uh, great teams, they generally have a really good field goal kicker. All right, let's get to some quick hitters here. Uh, just a brief halftime. Uh, we're going to continue with our historical first thoughts regarding the Big Ten programs. We're going to go with two. Panel, what do you think of Maryland football? What do you think of? Or do you not think of anything about Maryland football? Uh, I'll start off. Uh, unfortunately, when I think of Maryland athletics, the first thing that comes to mind, not mind is ACC basketball and uh, former coach Lefty Drizel. Uh, but there are some names that come to mind when I think of Maryland football. I think anybody who's followed football would uh, would know the names of Randy White, great defensive lineman from the Dallas Cowboys, quarterback Boomer Esiason, uh, and and linebacker Sean Merriman. Uh, who comes to mind for you, uh, or does anybody, Mark? Uh, no, I think of just they, they are the Oregon of the Big Ten as far as uniforms are concerned. They've got. They got some wacky looking stuff that they put on Saturdays from their helmets, their jerseys. Um, I look, fear the turtle. That's it. <laughs> I, I care less about Maryland football. Eric. I mean, Stefan Diggs is is the name that that kind of comes to mind. He's been maybe the one of the lone bright spots of the last, I guess, decade for for Maryland football, but it's basketball again, an another big 10 program where the first thought is basketball, probably first three thoughts. All right, let's move on uh, to Rutgers football. Uh, what do we think of it? What comes to mind? I'll go first to be perfectly honest with you. I have been on the Rutgers campus twice, but I don't think of football. I just think of New York city and Manhattan about 45 minutes up the road going. All right. When SC goes to uh, Rutgers uh, in New Brunswick, uh, you can have a, you can make a big full week vacation out of it if you want. But the name I think of basically of Rutgers football is Duran Cherry, the five-time Pro Bowler, uh, and probably defensive tackle Bill Pakel would be another one. Mark, anything strikes you about Rutgers football? Um, I, I think they got a cool-looking mascot. What are they, the Scarlet Knights? Right. Yeah. And I, I like their colors. Um, other than that, Greg Schiano coached coach there, right? Right, correct. Ooh, I'm three for three. What else? It seems like Rutgers has a really good history of football then. Wow, you're on a hot streak. Uh, Eric, what do you think of Rutgers football? The first college football game ever played, Rutgers-Princeton. Uh, All right. I mean, that's... Historian McKinney. That's, that's what they get to hang their hat on. You think I'm old? <laughs> I was not there. I did not. I did not watch it nor cover uh, that game. 
All right. Well, friends, before we head into the second half of the topics here on the huddle, again, a reminder, we encourage those of you watching inside the Trojan Subtle on sites like YouTube to click the like and red subscriber buttons. It's greatly valued. Appreciate it. It's free. And you can also listen to Inside the Trojan Subtle on many available uh, podcast sites. Be sure to check out wersc.com, and we encourage you to be a subscriber. I think you're really going to enjoy it. You'll see Mark Culkin on there, Eric, myself, Chris Arledge, who will return next week. Um, so that takes us into the second half with some interesting uh, questions. Uh, panel, it's been hush-hush uh, when it comes to potential names of candidates for the USC athletic director's position. We haven't heard a great deal, if anything. But I'm going to ask you to name me two candidates you think should be considered for the AD job and why. So I think it's appropriate to start with the WeRSC editor-in-chief, Eric McKinney. Give me a couple of choices here that they should interview. I I really like the two uh, Washington ADs, Jennifer Cohen at, at Washington and Pat Chun at Washington State. Uh, I think those were two names that jumped out uh, immediately. I would have to assume that anyone affiliated uh, with Pac-12 schools would be interested in hearing about going to either the SEC or, or the Big Ten. Uh, and those are two names that have been really successful at those two uh, specific spots. Mark, what do you glean for candidates? Yeah, I I, I could have swore we answered this question not too long ago. And because there has been no movement, you know, from the cone of silence, whatever I said weeks ago as my top candidates, I'm sticking with that answer. I, I Honestly, Greg, I haven't dealt, dived into this any further. Okay. So, this but is, could you do me a favor, though? Hmm. Could you explain to our younger listeners the cone of silence? So, <laughs> no, I now see you're laughing because you know that that's a good question to be so explored. YouTube is a great <laughs> tool. YouTube is a great tool for all of our uh, younger viewers. Go look up the the TV show Get Smart, and there was a, they had a thing called the cone of silence, which really wasn't silent, but it was their way of pretending that they're talking about top secret stuff without anybody hearing it. So the last time USC went under the cone of silence, Lincoln Riley showed up. I'm going to let them stick with that strategy. And maybe we get another Mike Bone or a Gene Smith, something of that caliber. Okay. I'm gonna throw, throw my, okay. Uh, I'm going to throw my two cents in here. Uh, I hope they interview Patrick Chung from Washington State. Uh, I also uh, kind of agree with Eric, you know, from the woman from Washington is uh, a real candidate. But I wrote about a dark horse potential candidate who I don't actually think has a real, real, realistic chance of getting the job. But I'm intrigued by Dave Baker, uh, former CEO of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. His son, Sam, played. Uh, was a multi-year All-America tackle for under Pete Carroll uh, during the glory years, as we like to refer to it as. Uh, Baker is a real personable guy. He he ran a arena football uh, team. He he was the commissioner of the Arena Football League. He was a great basketball player at UC Irvine. And if you've been around Dave, he's a I hate to use this term again. I'm beating a dead horse. Mountain of a man at about six nine. Uh, you know, tipping the scales at about 300 pounds, give or take. But, you know, he, because of his 
NFL background and he, he knows finances. He's, he's dealt with that. Uh, I think that at least he could be interviewed. Uh, uh, Cause I think he, he's a candidate that would represent USC. Well, but that's just my opinion. Take it. Or right. All right. Right. Yeah. Here's my question for you, because you, you feel like you've got to die on this hill with, with Dave Baker. I saw, I read what you wrote. I saw the feedback that you were getting and Okay. Well, it shouldn't be an issue. How long do you do you anticipate him keeping that job? I mean, you you need to have somebody in place that is that you're that you don't want to replace in three years. Why do you feel he has to be replaced in three years? I guess that's the question I have. Because I know how people all look. I'm not saying Dave is there, but when you get up in age. A lot is a lot. You are asked to do a lot. The AD job at USC is not an easy job. And if you want to take a look at what's going on in the real world, you need somebody who has who has the stamina to do a job that probably requires fifteen hours or more per day. So you're saying age is a factor for you? I really do. Okay, I don't agree with you at all, uh, and I hope that you don't get any older than you are. But from my standpoint, I, hope I don't either. But the fact of the matter is, we have to face reality. Well, look, you you got whether you like him or not, you the have way people, wait, 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 wait. You've got a president of the United States, like him or not, look, and, I, I didn't that, and you that. have a guy that's going to contest him. Now, wait a minute, who's probably 77 years old? Do I think it's the perfect thing? No, but are they capable of doing the job? That's for voters to decide. Uh, all I'm saying with Dave Baker, to be honest with you, is uh, give the guy a chance. How long did Mike Bone last? It wasn't because of his age. But here's the point. If you can do the job, what difference does it make? That's Has he been an athletic director before? What's that? Has he been an athletic director before? No, and that's and that is an that's uh, what, and that's part of US problem, Greg. They no, hire guys who have never been a position. Me finish, Mark. Mark, Mark, Mark. I, I, honestly, it doesn't matter. Mark, I want somebody you ask you. Just interview the guy and see how you feel. Why? It's a what's the courtesy interview going to do if he doesn't? If we're doing You're calling a, it a courtesy interview, I'm not calling it a courtesy interview. It is. You just said let's at least give him the interview. He's never been an athletic director before. He's oh, off the list. As much as I like the guy, he's off the list. You know the guy? I've met him on a few occasions. On a few occasions, okay. He's been a commissioner of this league and that league. He's never been an athletic director. USC tends to get in trouble when they hire guys for that position who have never held that position before. History's on my side on this one, Greg. You know, Mark, I don't agree with you. Okay, well, Lynn Swan, Pat Hayden... Okay, there's two. Did you like did you like Jess Hill? Mike Garrett, you want to keep going? You like Jess Hill. I wasn't Greg. Did you like Doc? Did you like Richard Perry? Stop it. you now you're being obtuse. I'm giving you I'm giving you legitimate reasons. I'm giving you legitimate reasons in the modern era. And you're taking it to an extreme. That's your perspective. Now with that, we're gonna move on because I don't I don't want to be accused of dragging this on. Uh, panel, the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum is celebrating its 100th year anniversary, including now including USC football games. Name your top five Coliseum events you have attended in your lifetime. 
Eric, do you have five Coliseum events? I think so. Otherwise, what do you got? I think so. So I'm going to go, I'm going to try to do this in order. So 2003, this is not a a USC football game. Uh, Manchester United did a a tour of the U.S. and played at the Coliseum. Uh, Going to that game was was super interesting to see kind of who came out. They played uh, Club America, a, a Mexican team. And... That was uh, really interesting to watch to watch that kind of sporting event at the Coliseum where I had not seen a soccer game before. Uh, the other one, another one is 2010. DeAnthony Thomas and Crenshaw played uh, for the city championship there. And this was when De- it was DeAnthony Thomas, USC commit and potential future USC legend, DeAnthony Thomas. And he put on... Uh, quite a show there in that game. That that was a fun one uh, to be at. And then the the next three are USC football games. The 2001 game, USC beating UCLA 27-0. Uh, I was a freshman that year sitting uh, first row. It was kind of a, a lottery how you got tickets at that point. Um, had phenomenal seats for it. Got to watch that one, which I think is, you know, that 27 nothing game a lot of people talk about it as sort of being that turning point here we go this is this is what uh this was going to be i don't know if anyone expected quite that run that came after that but again that that game was uh cathartic i know to to a lot of usc fans uh another one i'm going to say um usc notre dame in in, in 2002 where carson palmer and won the the Heisman Trophy. I I think we all kind of assumed at that point. And that's number six USC against number seven Notre Dame for that one. Phenomenal atmosphere, great game. If you're a USC fan, uh, to watch there. And then the US when Utah comes to the Coliseum, 2015, uh, number three Utah. That's the Cam Smith three interception game, one return for a touchdown. That again, talking about kind of atmosphere and and all of that. One of those bright spots in uh, a decade of of not a ton of bright spots. So for me, th- those are the five um, Coliseum events. Very good, Mark. Yeah. Um... Eric, you mentioned a few of the games. The the USC Cal football game, two thousand four, outstanding. Uh, you mentioned twenty seven zero. Again, that was for me. That was the the real turning point that USC was done with the doldrums and heading off in a, in the right direction, despite them losing their their bowl game uh, later that year. Uh, outside of USC football games. You know, Lakers celebrating their championship with Kobe. I I don't know if this call scene was sold out, but it was pretty close. I mean, a lot of people in that place. And then for some reason, there's a a concert that I went to that I vaguely remember. I know I was there, but it was just the most unique lineup. Uh, the Rolling Stones, but the opening band was a um, in Living Color. And I don't know if many people knew who Lit in Living Color were at the time. I kind of did, but it blew me away that the Rolling Stones had this band opening for them. So, yeah, 
Calcine has seen her fair share of uh, fun events. Well, I will tell you that I had a hard time deducing some of them to, to fit into, uh, you know, uh, top five. I don't even know if I agree with my own top five, but I can tell you that there, there were some uh, seminal moments for me. My first baseball game, uh, 1959 in the Coliseum was Roy Campanella night, Dodgers versus Yankees. Uh, memory I have was Yankees had a pitcher named Ryan Duran who had thick goggles when he pitched and he and he was a fireballer and he used to have a red hanky in the back of his uh pants and he would take it out and he would always be wiping his glasses like he couldn't see where he was going and what i remember in this game was that mickey mantle did not play because he had a knee injury but ryan duran was pitching to carl ferrillo one of the great brooklyn dodgers that came over and Ryan Duran planted a fastball right into the ribs of Carl Ferrillo, and he went down. Turned out he broke his ribs uh, with the fastball. Uh, that same year, I remember a young lefty named Sandy Koufax. I was there down the right field line with my dad and my Uncle Eddie uh, when Koufax struck out 18 Giants in 1959, and he was on fire. This was the Sandy Koufax that would evolve as a pitcher in the in the 60s. Uh, I would have to say the 1967 USC win over UCLA in the battle for number one and Simpson's 64-yard run, which was a classic of all time. Uh, 74 USC comeback over Notre Dame. I've never seen the Coliseum uh, that loud uh, for a half. It was, he just had to be there. And I agree with Mark on this one, as sadly as I have to agree with him. Uh, the heart-stopping USC victory over Cal and 2004 and that defensive stand and uh, just an incredible game, especially when you look back and you really appreciate who Cal had on that team, Aaron Rodgers and Marshawn Lynch. And they were really a great team. And that, I think that one aged me a little bit and just very briefly honorable mention. There was a lot of high school championship games in those days uh, in the Coliseum. And I will leave with this one. I think one of the most sentimental games that I went to I don't know. I know, Mark, I think you're a big baseball fan, and Eric is too. I I was able to go to the Dodgers uh, uh, Boston Red Sox exhibition game uh, not all that long ago that set, I think, the attendance record for a baseball game. I think it was 115,000, and they re, re they redid the Coliseum like it was in 59. And, you know, when, you, when you're like uh, nine years old looking at that left field screen about 250 feet away, and then when you're an uh, adult, uh, you know, in your older age, and you're looking at it, you go, oh, my God. It seemed like the end of the infield was touching the, the left field screen. That, that was a great memory. And it was amazing how many people I saw that uh, really got a kick out of it. All right, let's move on here. Uh, panel, let's uh, list three Coliseum things that are no longer part of the Coliseum itself uh, or the environment that maybe you miss. Eric, anything that uh, you'd like to bring back out of the nostalgia trunk? I mean, you're you're gonna have more of this than I will. Just just the look for me. I, I think that I mean we can go again another hour show about the tower and and all of that. And I understand the the push to shrink capacity and all of the reasons for that, and to put more expensive seats in uh, and, and all the decisions 
that go into that. The look of of the Coliseum right now, I, I miss kind of the the big bowl and and what it used to look like, uh, and and the amount of people it filled. I mean, the fact that you're never going to get a ninety seven thousand ninety five thousand uh, attendance anymore, and the the noise that that could generate kind of at, at the height of the Carol years. Uh, it's, it's, you know, that's something that, that I'll miss that, that you just can't get back. Uh, Mark. So they need to bring back the tailgating experience that made the Coliseum a really fun place to be near every Saturday. Uh, it's pretty much gone and they need to figure it out. I mean, from what I understand, the South Lawn has now been taken away. It's gone. No more. No more tailgating. And the uh South Lawn? Really? That's what I'm hearing. Oh. So last year or the last few years, it was reduced to half of the South Lawn. Now it's uh completely taken away. So I don't know what type of environment, atmosphere USC is trying to build on game days. Uh it you don't feel it when you're walking around the Coliseum. And if you're forcing everybody to go to campus, you know, that's great, but uh, you can only put so many people on campus. There's only so many spaces available. As far as inside with the game, uh, as far as I'm concerned, they need to put the band back where they belong over near the student section. Absolutely. Yeah. And just from my own personal uh, point of view, uh, find a spot for the Thundering Herd. Create a rooting section that has some passion that can generate standing room only. Where you know you look around the country and you see other stadiums, and you, I'm not saying the Coliseum can't be like that, but there was something special about having that little corner of the end zones that surrounded the tunnel. That when the team came out, they knew they were the home team. I don't know if you really have that feeling right now. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I thought that the Thundering Herd uh, set the tone uh, for excitement uh, when the team came out. I think you're absolutely correct. Um, it's strange this may sound. I kind of miss the running track and Traveler being able to run around it like the old days. I think for, a, for, for spectators, I think it's better there is no track, so to speak, because you can be close to the field. The Raiders changed it. I, I understand it. I, I agree with it. But I do miss that type of ambiance. I miss one of the things I found that I missed was in the old days, the LA times would have guys selling the paper and on the front page, it would have the starting lineups of both teams in big print rosters running down the both sides of the, of the front page and a big picture of a couple of USC stars. They did it for baseball as well. It was kind of an added touch. You know, a lot of people bought those papers. They wouldn't buy a program in those days. The SC program is called the Pigskin Review, which I thought was a pretty good publication at the time. Um, but I really have to, uh, I'm going to end this segment with this. I totally agree with Mark on this. What they have done from when I was attending a USC games from the 60s, make fun of my age if you want, call me the old fart, I don't care. Um, but the feeling of being on a campus for a game Having everybody there, I think I understand the campus itself for a home game, but it's not the same. Remember, Exposition was and remains a park, P-A-R-K. 
and they're they're slowly changing the park to not be a park, but a kind of a giant facility. Uh, and I have friends kind of like Mark uh, who really enjoy the tailgating. I mean, the charging for tailgating was a joke, in my opinion. Uh, they should have never done that. They, how about having better football teams at the time uh, to recoup money? Uh, but the whole ambiance of you, I mean, I, this is an unfair comparison. Mark, you probably would agree with me on this one. You go to some of the other schools that are on campus that have stadiums. Uh, you know, there is that feeling of camaraderie, cl closeness, tailgating, and just kind of eliminating it. So there's like a little section of people. Uh, and I think I, I really miss that. I think it's a shame. I, re I really, really do. All right, let's go and, and cap this up. Yeah, Mark. It's sad. No, I was just saying, it's sad that UCLA has better tailgating than USC. You know, I can't argue against that. You know, they they you don't see them taking away spots, but then it's the Rose Bowl. But that shouldn't be an excuse. SC controls the Coliseum and what goes around it. And uh, you know, they like Eric said, we could make his whole segment on this, but <laughs> let's get rolling here because I, I want to uh, get some important questions from the viewers here. This is from SC, the one in the, in the OC. Panel, your thoughts on the odds of the following players ending up signing with the Trojans. He wants to know, what do we think about running back Taylor Tatum, uh, linebacker Kingston uh, Vialamu Asa, safety Peyton Woodward, uh, defensive lineman Aiden Breland, defensive lineman Edric uh, Houston. Uh, let's start off there. Uh, just jump right in, guys. Uh, Eric, you're the, let's just for the sake of fairness here. You follow recruiting. That's kind of your bread and butter, too. What odds are you giving SC on, on these players of, of having them sign? Where do you see them going, or do you? The only one that, that I think is maybe USC-friendly right now is is Kingston, uh, the, the linebacker from Bosco. I, I think if USC ends up with two of those guys, it's it's pretty good. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility at the end of this if USC has the kind of season – that they want to to maybe end up with three or four, and that includes all three of the the local guys uh, on that list. So, in terms of do they do they commit to USC or do they sign with USC? I think those are two different uh, questions to answer. I think the two out of state guys on that list are going to be tough, but I also know that Taylor Tatum has been a want for USC coaches. That includes Riley and Kyle McDonald for a long time and I'm I'm just not going to bet against those two when they want to go get a a running back. They've gone after some big time guys. They've really prioritized Taylor Tatum in this class. So again, I, I'll I'll bet on the closer school to him, uh Oklahoma at this point, but I think USC's in the mix. And and again, if if you end up with two of those five guys, I, I think that's a that's a pretty good haul. Mark, how do you how do you read this? Yeah, and I was going to ask Eric, you know, with Taylor Tatum, the fact that USC has essentially gone all in with him at running back. I mean, you even have the local kid, Nate Frazier, saying, I know USC wants Taylor Tatum. I mean, those are his own words. What kind of impact did that have at, when it's time to for Taylor to pick up the microphone and say, USC or Oklahoma? I, you would have to imagine that, hey, USC went all in, Tacka Curtis at linebacker. They didn't explore any other options. They're taking a similar approach with Taylor Tatum. I would hope that that would weigh heavily on Tatum's mind. Um, 
yeah, if I'm smart money says Kingston is probably the best bet. And then if USC can have the season that we all hopefully have, that we hopefully all, that we hope they all have, Aiden Breland comes along at the end there because he wants to see. He's just in wait and see mode. So those are the three guys that I think they have the best chance for. All right, I'll uh, I'll wrap this question up. Uh, I think Tatum will go to Oklahoma only because I think, in his words, it's very much like Longview, Texas to him. It's close to home. And my opinion is that if a tie goes to the runner, uh, I, my heart is hoping that he'll, he'll go to SC. Uh, I'm hopefully pleasantly surprised, but I think he's going to be Oklahoma. Uh, Asa, I'm not quite sure of. Uh, he's pretty close to the vest. I mean, people try to gauge whether his his uh, seven on seven uh, gloves show Ohio State or he's wearing a shirt USC. Uh, I think there's a lot of pressure on this kid. Uh, and again, I didn't want to just point this out. These are just commitments. And I think Mark and Eric are absolutely right. If SC has a fantastic year, the only thing that counts is the letter of intent in early December if they're going to sign. And like an Aiden Breland could, and I have no problem if a guy wants to wait. Why shouldn't he? Uh, if he's not sure, uh, I think Woodward can be flipped. Uh, Houston keeps, uh, I don't want, this sounds negative, dragging it out. But, you know, obviously he's still undecided. So they maybe they have a shot at him. Uh, question two from the Trojans in the Valley. Who do you think our defensive MVP for the season will be? Who do you guys think it'll be? Hmm. I'm going to throw Mason Cobb's name out there. I think he has a good chance to lead the team in tackles run stops, all of that kind of stuff. But I, I think there's the opening for whoever takes on the Thule role of that sack leader for the team, which I, I don't think will be Cobb. I think it'll be, you know, obviously somebody up front. My hope is that we're talking about a rush end with double-digit sacks, some forced fumbles, and some major, major impact plays. Maybe it's Anthony Lucas. Maybe it's a guy. Romello Height has kind of flown under the radar uh, Jamil Muhammad in, in that role too. So uh, I, I think it's, again, I feel the most comfortable saying Mason Cobb has the biggest impact on just kind of play to play recording stops, keeping the defense in a, a good position uh, in terms of not giving up five, five and a half yards uh, per run. Uh, I will echo uh, what, um, what Eric said. I think it's going to be Mason Cobb. Mark. I'm going to go with Eric Gentry. Not, I got nothing against Cobb, but I'm just going to play contrarian here. I think Eric wants to prove that last year uh, the defense could have been better if he was on the field all the time. And let's be honest, he brings a unique skill set to the field uh, that can yes, also yeah. play that can also play that rush end position in certain packages. So, who knows? All right, question three from Jerry in Monrovia, California: Has there been an official date set? For salute to Troy. August 18th. August 18th. I think I saw that in a Twitter from the band site. So I, I assume that's official. Uh, my only hope was that I wish they could open it up to the public. But better to have it than not have it at all. Uh, media. What's that? Media, too. Yeah. <laughs> that would be nice. It certainly would be nice. All right. So there you have it. August 18th. I think that's a Friday, right? Uh, it's supposed to be, I think, on uh, uh, the new name of the of the track stadium. 
uh, Allison, uh, what's her name? Felix. Felix, thank you. Uh, question four from Romy in Huntington Beach, California. We'll wrap this up. This will be close to Mark's heart because he wrote about it. Uh, should USC proceed to place Reggie Bush's trophy in the hall, uh, Heritage Hall, I believe is what he's referring to, without concern of the recourses that may occur? If so, who would be the offended group? Do we foresee any negative reactions from inside USC? Mark, since you did write on this, can you just kind of give us an overview on how you feel about this? They should put it back yesterday. I mean, the NCA has shown that what's the, what are they going to do to for, to a program that commits 18 level one major violations? They're not going to give you a bull ban. They're going to fine you. So if the NCA wants to be vindictive and take it out on USC again for putting up a statue in their trophy case, I have a feeling that there would be a GoFundMe page started yesterday willing to pay that fine for USC. This is a non-issue. Uh, this is a hill I will die. I will plant the flag on and die. Pre the previous athletic director said they were working on it. So whomever gets the next position at USC, that's their first executive order. Go open up the basement, dust it off, put it back in the number seven, the number seven slot where it belongs. Eric, any thoughts? I don't, yeah, I don't think the NCAA would really have anything to do. I mean, it's the it's the Heisman Trust. It's not like the NCAA gives out the, the Heisman Trophy. So it would only be the only reason USC would not do it, I suppose. Again, this is not coming from them, but I would suppose is to not offend the Heisman Trust when you have a guy that, that you want to win the award again and you want to win a, a bunch more uh, down the road. Again, that that's the only way I can see it is that officially – the Heisman Trust has erased giving out that award, and they technically, by their point of view, haven't given the award out. So you would be, again, the offense would be putting an award up that I, that we're all supposed to pretend doesn't exist. But again, the, the disassociation penalty by the NCAA is done. So you can plaster Reggie Bush stuff up wherever you want, if you're the if you're a USC without any kind of penalty, so again, if if you're going to sort of offhand remark, yeah, we have eight. This is the eighth, and, and USC still. It's interesting how they sort of toe that line between seventh official and eighth Heisman Trophy and and all of that sort of stuff. But that's the only reason that I can think of that you wouldn't that you wouldn't put it up. But I, if it's me, there's Reggie Bush stuff up everywhere. So I, I, I don't care. I don't care if anybody is upset or whatever if they put it up. I, you want it and you have it, put it up. Yeah, well, they, Eric, at Caleb's Heisman ceremony, they talked about USC's eighth Heisman Trophy. So the Heisman Trust can't get you know they can't stand, they can't hoist themselves by that petard and and say no 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 you can't do it. And it wasn't the Heisman Trust also said once the NCAA reinstates the record books, then everything would be okay. They'd so have to, right? They, they'd have the NCAA would have to go back and find that Reggie Bush was eligible, which I just don't, I don't think they're going to do because then they would have to do it. They'd have to do it for everybody, which again, I'm fine if they, uh, yes, if it happened on the field, it happened on the field, and and that's it. Anybody who 
knows anything about college football or covers college football without an axe to grind is absolutely fine considering Reggie Bush is the Heisman Trophy winner and and won it on the field for USC. I understand there's he wasn't following the rules at the time, and so he shouldn't be eligible. All of that kind of conversation. But nobody, nobody, I think, with a voice, a, a loud national voice, would be up in arms over how dare USC put this statue back up for a guy who won it and and did his time, right? Did his 10 years, which is and and when you talk about the Tennessee thing, honestly, I'm okay with it, right? The big the big problem with the USC penalties were that they were insanely harsh. And so I don't need them to be insanely harsh over and over and over and over and over. If you go back in time, you want them to fix USC's, but I'm fine if going forward, you're not handing out the same punishment over and over and over because then it's lunacy, right? If every single program is getting hammered beyond all all reason that's not a that's not a place where we want to be i think so again it's it doesn't change the fact that the punishment against usc was insane and clearly pointed at at usc but I, i you can't compare tennessee and usc but for what tennessee did the coach is gone the six year show like it's it's all on the coach who did that and that's fine. I don't need the current Tennessee players to get punished for something that is kind of legal now and that they, you know, weren't involved in. So again, I'm not going to compare those two things because there's just no comparison to to the USC penalty. It's not even worth trying to say, well, you did this, so you should do that. Even the 28 scholarships over five years doesn't mean anything with because you got the transfer portal. It kind of balances it out. You know, 80 guys on scholarship on a roster is fine, especially when half of those guys came through the transfer portal and are experienced. They're not going to have any George Catrives on Tennessee. Well, I will just say this. I think I've pretty much said what I could say on this subject, but now that you see things, hindsight, SC was crucified at the time. Seeing what Ohio State got away with, all these schools that stood up said we're going to do a lawsuit. Penn State, all of them. Miami was gangster. I think that Reggie deserves uh, some reconsideration on the trophy. He should get it back. The only thing I do still believe in, uh, and people don't want to agree with me, that's fine. I, I just would like him to recognize that at the time uh, he made some mistakes, or his family made mistakes. And he would like to apologize uh, publicly. He may not do it. Uh, I understand that. Uh, I don't know what the legality of it is. But that's all I'm asking. And I think he would set a nice example to say, look, if I make a mistake, I say I'm sorry and let's move on. Uh, I have no problem if they put his jersey up in the Coliseum. Uh, For another discussion, I wish they put Ronnie Lott's jersey up there somewhere uh, and not just restricted to just... um, you know, uh, Heisman Trophy winners. But, you know, this is something that as we look back from when this all took place to what the NCA is today, uh, there, I think it can be worked out uh, if people want to make it work out. And I think Reggie has to also take some uh, 
uh, responsibility on helping it work out to the best of his satisfaction. But look, you know, at this point in time, it's a different college football landscape. But I think that they, they can do a little mop up work here and then just give him his trophy back uh, and, and be that as it may. So, all right. A reminder again, if you have a question or comments for our panel, go to the WeRSC members message board, click on the thread that pertains to Inside the Trojan Settle or listeners. And a refi- final reminder, if you did enjoy Inside the Trojan Settle, please click on the like and red subscriber buttons. We greatly appreciate your support. Be sure to check out WeRSC.com. invite you to become a subscriber. That'll do it for Tuesday's edition of Inside the Trojan Settle. Until next Tuesday, we'll t- take a look at the defense. Uh, as training camp is going to roll in that week. A big thank you again to our great panelists, Mark Culkin and Eric McKinney. And a special big thank you to all of you for watching or listening inside the Trojan Settle. Have yourself a great week. So until next Tuesday, this is your moderator, Greg Katz, reminding you all to fight on, everybody.